0: A, a little, kind of not exactly a backwater town called Colossae but it wasn't a big prosperous town it used to be but it wasn't anymore and Paul had never actually been there previously but he heard from some faithful friends that they actually received the gospel of Christ they started walking the walk so to speak and then trouble started brewing. So word got back to Paul, hey you might want to write a letter to these people, some stuff's going on and so he writes a letter and it's really good And most of the focus of the letter, if you haven't been here, or if you've been sleeping quietly, you've been fooling me, I haven't caught you. But I'll just tell you right off the bat. The point of this letter is how awesome and important and central Jesus is. And even though this was written 2,000 years ago across the ocean in the Roman Empire, this is still true. So this isn't a history lesson so much as it is truth for right now and today. Jesus is still central. Some of the cultural things might be old-fashioned, but the truth is not. It's all about Jesus. That in mind, let's dig right in. Last week we talked about how some people from some different traditions, both Greek traditions and Jewish traditions, were going up to these new Christians and they were saying things like, Hey, it's really great that you're saved and all, but you might want to think about this philosophy. Or you might want to add this religious festival or this religious practice Maybe you guys should even get circumcised. Wouldn't that be nice? And Paul is writing, saying, no, 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 don't worry about that kind of stuff. Focus on Jesus. And he talks about how in Jesus Christ, they're free from different man-made religions. And even he brought up this idea of being free from the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And we talked about that for a minute. We thought, what in the world does that mean? And Different translations translate this notorious phrase differently. Some translate it the elemental principles, and some translate it the elemental spiritual forces. Well, it shows up in a number of different books, and we're going to go ahead and run with spiritual forces, because I think it works. So let's dig in. Paul has just said you guys are free from that. So verse 16 to 23 is what we're going to cover today, and I'm going to run all the way through it, and then we'll get point by point, verse by verse. The heading, by the way, in the NIV, if you have an NIV Bible, says Freedom from Human Rules. Great title for a sermon, but a little bit of a misnomer. We'll talk about that. 16. Therefore, because of all that stuff I just said, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These rules, which have to to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Some of your Bibles may translate that last phrase, indulging the flesh. And remember, that was Paul's word for the desires and the drives inside every human being that are contrary to the heart and the will of God. Let's dig into this. There's a, a lot here. First of all, this is about freedom. And you can use this as a proof text to defend your right to eat bacon. Yes. I'm just going to come yes. right out and say it. Amen. Go ahead and put the bookmark in your Bible. Amen. So this is one of those. I know, I know Chris has been struggling with this. I know. We, uh, we, we save bacon grease upstairs yes. because we use it to cook other things with. This is completely off topic. But it's fun. So we had four four or five jars at one time full of bacon grease because we consume a lot of bacon and we give praise and thanks and worship for every last ounce of the four pigs. Verse 16. Why did you guys let me do that? Okay. So, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. What is Paul talking about in context here? He's saying, look... You're God's people in Christ, and you have died to and been set free from the rules and authorities. He's going to talk about these in verse 20. And he says that the festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths kind of fall under that category. That's that's really weird. These are probably references to Jewish observances. And if you look in the Old Testament, written a long time before this was written, when God is giving instructions to the priests and what the priests are supposed to do, This phrase, the new moon, the festivals, and the Sabbaths, are actually laid out in 1 Chronicles 23-31. All three are together. So it's probably a reference to the people that are trying to make the Christian believers at Colossae more Jewish. And Paul's like, look, don't, don't let them tell you that you're less spiritual because you're not celebrating their festivals. Don't let them tell you that you're less spiritual. Don't let them judge you because you don't worship on the Sabbath like they do, and you're not observing these things. He's like, don't let them do that. Don't receive that. It's it's not about that. And then he says in 17 that these things, these festivals, these days, these special times, are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Have I said, I know I've said here before that God is the best storyteller there is, God loves a good story. I mean, he is all about it. And he has been foreshadowing this Jesus thing intentionally for a long, long time. And Paul is saying here, look, these observances, the temple, all these ceremonies, they were very clever foreshadowing of the reality which is here. So once the real thing comes, we don't focus on the foreshadowing, right? If you turn to the book of Hebrews, which is a really interesting book, you see this called out plainly. Here's <clears throat> Hebrews 8.5, talking about the priests. Hebrews 8.5 says, They, the priests, serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Very interesting. There's also a similar reference in Hebrews 9, and a very long discussion of it in Hebrews 10. that talks about how the whole law was only a shadow of the good things that were coming. So everything is building up to this pinnacle, right? This zenith, this climax. And the climax is Jesus. And so Paul is telling these people, why would you look at shadows when the real thing is in front of you? Focus on Jesus. Don't be distracted. But he may also be saying to the Greeks in his audience, remember this is a Greek context, hey, I know that some of you guys believe that the spiritual things are good and physical things are bad. You know, this dude named Plato really ingrained that in our culture, right? That the physical things, excuse me, are mere shadows of the perfect spiritual things. Who's ever heard of Plato's analogy of the cave? Anybody? Oh, got a few people. Sweet. Like they always try to make you read that in college. Like philosophy run on, and bam, there you go, Plato's cave. They really believe that what we see physically are shadows of things in heaven or things in the spiritual realm. And Paul is saying, all that's irrelevant. Focus on Jesus. He's the real deal. Awesome. Clear. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) Verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Interesting. Such a person goes on in great detail about what they have seen, and they are puffed up ...with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. This is interesting. We have false humility coupled with angel worship. In a couple of the commentaries I read, they pointed out that this angel worship phrase in the the original language... ...could also be translated worship with angels. Not necessarily worship of angels. But I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably worship of angels. And it's interesting... He puts false humility with death. So we can imagine almost the mindset, right? Like, oh, woe is me. I'm nothing. Who am I to approach the Almighty God? I'll just go through this intermediary, this buffer. You know, I'll just pray to a lesser angel. You know, Paul is probably addressing the false humility and saying, no, that's bogus. You're children of God. You're grafted in. Remember all that kingdom of light, the transfer that happened? I wrote about that in chapter 1. Guys, are you following me? You don't focus on angels. Focus on Jesus. And that's not real humility anyway. Because he turns it right around and he says they're actually puffed up with pride by their unspiritual minds. It's interesting. He's calling a spade a spade. He's like, don't act like you're humble to me. You're an arrogant, holier-than-thou, super-spiritual person. Like, I see that. You're not fooling anyone. Quit it. You know? And I think that an interesting warning for, for then and for now is that they focus on visions. This is a charismatic church. That means we believe that God does what he wants, when he wants, with whoever he wants. And that may entail visions, prophecy, speaking in tongues, broken arms getting healed, pneumonia going away, hands growing back. You know, God does miracles today. He's still speaking. He hasn't decided to shut up. And he'll let us know when he does, probably, because he loves to talk. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So Paul never says that the people are faking these visions. He doesn't say they're pretending to have visions. So it's like they're really seeing stuff probably. But the source is dubious and the results are destructive. So we need to be discerning. And we need to focus on Jesus no matter what we think we see or experience I remember Nicole telling me about Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker is a missionary extraordinaire right now in Africa. She's got hundreds and hundreds of churches that she's founded in Africa. And this is what she does. She drives out in the middle of the nowhere, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, you know, into a village that probably hasn't ever heard about Jesus or seen a white person, and they heal people. This is happening right now. Like, oh, you're deaf? She gets kids to pray for the deaf people. The deaf people start hearing, and then the whole village is listening. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. So, this is her life. And she was speaking once, and she said it bothers her. This is, I'm quoting this second hand from Nicole. If I get this wrong, you let me know. It bothers her when people come up to her and say, Oh, I see angels. And she says, Oh, really? She's like, I saw an angel one time. And she was like, She was horrified, right? She said, People that. Hold on. She said that. People saw angels in the Bible. They were literally like thrown to the ground out of the presence of God, and just like completely overwhelmed. The statement is when people make statements of like, "Oh, I saw an angel and he danced and it was great." And she's like, "Really? That's not how it is in the Bible. I don't believe you." Which maybe they did, you know? Maybe they did. But nine times out of ten, angel shows up in the Bible. People hit the ground. (laughs) And, like, you have somebody awesome like Daniel, a great man of God, right? And the angel actually commands Daniel, like, hey, stand up. And Daniel's response is, does anybody remember? I can't. Yeah, that's right. Like, I can't. And the actually has to give him the strength to stand up because he's so freaked out. So visions happen. But regardless of the visions that we have or think we have, focus on Jesus. And do not, above all, let pride sneak into your spirituality. Because when you're focusing on the king of kings, there's not much room for pride. You see yourself as you ought to. Alright, moving on. Verse 19. Those people that are going on and on about the worship of angels and stuff. Paul says in 19, they have lost connection with the head. And I'm reading out of the NIV, by the way. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. He's continuing here a body analogy, first of all. He said that Christ is the head, earlier in the book of Colossians, of the body, which is the church. So remember, it's the mech warrior image from my favorite movie, Pacific Rim. We have this gigantic, awesome robot body. Represent Pacific Rim every time I can. And then you have the guys that are controlling the giant robot body, ...come down in the head, right? And that's when the whole thing comes to life. When the head is connected to the body. And the head controls the body. You know, I don't think that Paul saw... ...prophetically in the future of watched Pacific Rim... ...although that would have been sweet. But it's the same image. When you're disconnected from the head... ...the life, the energy, the direction... ...all of that departs. And Paul is saying, these people are trading that. They've lost connection with the head... ...and they're focusing on other things. Don't do that. Because the energy, the growth... All of that comes from Christ. We need to focus on Jesus. That was true then, and that's true now. I hope that the church I'm a part of, whether I'm pastoring or sitting in the back row, has at its core a focus on and an appreciation of who Jesus is and what he did, and what he brought us into, and nothing else. No social agenda. No awesome worship team is the center. Jesus needs to be at the center. And there can be a lot of other cool stuff, but we can't lose connection with the head. Does that make sense? Yep. Awesome. Verse 20. Now he's going to change gears a little bit, and he's going to talk not about these other people, but he's going to talk now right to the Colossians again. He says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, Do you submit to its rules? And I'm going to go ahead and, well, I'll I'll take that as it is first, and then I'll get to 21, which is what I really want to get to. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Okay. Think. In a covenant, like a marriage covenant, they pronounce you married until death do you part, right? He's literally saying, you died to these things. Hence, you are free from them. You are free from their authority, free from their tyranny, free to any obligation. Because Christ died, and you died with Christ. You took part in his death. It's as if these spiritual forces of the world are real beings that really don't like you very much. The puppet masters, so to speak. And they mean harm for you. In fact, all of creation. And you are set free from that. Chapter 1, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light by Christ's death. And Paul is saying, look what you escaped. Look what Jesus rescued you from. And you're going to go back there and pretend that you're still under their throne? Why are you doing that? We see this in other books of the Bible in surprising places. If you pop over to Galatians 4, the Galatians were this tribe of... No, well, they weren't Jews at all, you know? They were up in what's probably now Germany-ish area. And he converts them to Christianity from paganism. They start to believe in Jesus from their, whatever their you know, traditional religion is. And then some Jewish people show up and the Jewish people want to make them Jewish. And Paul says, hey, you're reverting back to the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Because anything that isn't Jesus-focused is equated with paganism. It's all the same to Paul. Whether that's wanting to return to the Old Covenant, or worshipping Zeus, or anything else. It's all putting yourself back under the thumb of the spiritual forces that really exist and really mean harm to you. And Christ is, and Paul is saying, focus on Christ, avoid that. Remember that you're free. So these are some fun rules that these nefarious beings that hate us want us to obey. You ready for this? According to Paul, they're the ones saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So I'm going to stop here, and we're going to go party. Amen? No, that's not what we said. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> we can't party. We're just partying different now. <laughs> do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Look, this is harsh stuff, right? We, we've all heard about the Old Testament laws, right, the Jews. Like, they have kosher food. They have non-kosher food. They can only eat this this way. and They can't eat this. I had catfish yesterday that I caught with Keith, and I made a delicious catfish chowder. Thank you for being excited about that, Amanda. Everybody else is telling me it's gross. <laughs> well, all right, Katie, dude. Man, I tell you what, I cooked that up with little bacon, some potatoes. Oh, man, so good. Hey, that was a new covenant treat. According to the Old Testament, you couldn't eat a fish that didn't have scales. It's true. So I enjoyed the favor of Jesus Christ by eating my catfish yesterday, which seems funny now, but it wouldn't have, wouldn't have 2,000 years ago because there were real forces in these people's lives telling them, look, you're acting all spiritual, but you're eating all this unclean food. Stop it. You have to restrict your diet. You have to follow this regimen if you really want to be spiritual, if you are really God's people. And then you also have some Greeks that are coming from a non-Jewish background, and they're saying, look, we know that the spiritual things are good and the body's bad, so you've got to treat your body really hard, man. You've got to be hard on this nasty physical thing that we're trapped in, Right? by fasting and not eating too much and not eating sweets or however else they treated their body harshly. And Paul is saying, seriously, stop it. It's not even about that. Don't worry about that anymore. Eat the bacon. It's there for you because God is good and he loves you and wants to give you good things. Verse 22 these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Destined to perish with use. Are we all catching what he's saying there? What? Food? Destined to perish with Okay, I won't go into too much detail. All right. <laughs> he's saying, it's actually going to leave pretty soon. About eight hours, you won't have to worry about that. So, can't really make you unclean. <laughs> Sorry. True. Wait, Chris doesn't <laughs> understand. Okay. <laughs> now, that, that phrase actually, these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use on merely human commands and teachings, struck a chord with me and it reminded me of the book of Mark where Jesus is teaching. But we're going to end with that at Mark chapter 7. But as I was studying this, I was like, oh, I see what he's doing there. Because he's about to tie in some things. You're free from these fake rules, but there's a standard, and there are things that you actually need to be concerned about, not these side issues about whether or not to eat bacon and mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Oh, Jesus. I love it. All right, back on track. Who's leaving this parade? Such regulations, verse 23: the do not taste, do not handle, do not touch have an appearance of wisdom. Don't people seem spiritual when they treat themselves like that and they're super harsh and they're bowed down and they're all somber and serious? They seem really spiritual, don't they? It has an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But, but, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence or the flesh, as some translations say. And this is probably the crux of the matter for Paul. This is probably what irritated him about the whole thing. Maybe not all of it, but certainly one thing. Is that they're worrying about what they should eat and what day they should do what ceremony on And he's like, not only are you not focusing on Jesus, but this isn't even the big deal stuff. And he alludes to what Jesus said was the big deal stuff. This is what Jesus said about being clean and unclean in regards to food. You guys ready for this? This is in Mark 7, verses 5 to 23. The Pharisees, the really religious people, they're trying to do it right, guys. They're not bad guys. They're just trying to do it as right as they can. And so they added a whole bunch of rules. The Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Remember all Paul's stuff about the traditions of men? Here we have it. Why don't they live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? You know what these guys are so upset about? Jesus' disciples are eating food without ceremonially washing their hands first. And so these guys are like, now your hands are unclean, the food's unclean? Like, you guys are in huge sin. We've got a problem here. And Jesus is like, That's not what defiles a person. Well, to a Jewish mind, that blows the mind. Okay? Because for a long time, that was what defiled a person. And in fact, the disciples are so puzzled by this, they come up to Jesus later and they're like, Hey, thanks for having our back back there. Appreciate that. But uh, what did you mean that's not what defiles a person? (coughs) And this is what Jesus said. They asked him the question. (laughs) Jesus calls the crowd to him and says, this is in verse 14, listen to me. Oh, excuse me, no, this is where the disciples ask, verse 18. Are you so dull, Jesus says to the disciples, poor guys, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach. He's like, it doesn't matter if you eat bacon or not, guys. That doesn't defile you because, you know, you've got organs and they process that stuff. It doesn't go into the heart. But, oh, the then it says, in declaring this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So Mark 7, also bacon text. <laughs> he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. Boom. Mark 7, 20. Underline that in your Bible. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, That evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Guess what? When Paul says these have an appearance of wisdom, but they lack any use to restrain the desires of the flesh, this is what he's talking about. He's like, "This is where your focus needs to be. Where is your heart at? What is coming out of you? Stop worrying about what you're eating. What are you thinking? What are you doing? What does your life look like? What are you pondering? Are you deceitful? arrogant? We always focus on the sexual stuff. You notice that? I think it's the media, you know? Because the Christian traditional worldview and the ethics have really clashed with the media. You know, and like, man, it's really getting, like, drug behind the bus. But I'm telling you, if they actually read the Bible, they would have a lot more stuff to criticize us about. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, the whole American way is pretty much indicted right here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Greed, malice, envy. Our advertising campaigns are built on these things, for crying out loud. And Paul is saying, and Jesus is saying, this is the flesh. This is the stuff you need to get out of you man, call CNN, there's just so much more. (laughs) Sorry. And that's why, P.S., the Freedom from Human Rules, kind of a misnomer title on that in the NIB, Thanks, NIB, Just set us up for that one. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and read the takeaway word for word because I I wrote it, and then I read it, and I thought, yeah, that's real good. I'm just going to go ahead and read that. This section is all about freedom from the harsh rules that we might be tempted to impose on ourselves. It's as if Paul is saying, why are you worried about eating bacon? Fifth bacon reference, I think, if you're counting. You should be worried about the state of your heart. Where are our hearts at? Paul is not saying that there is no moral code and no rules in Christianity. He is saying we need to enjoy the freedom we have and focus on on what really matters. Focus on Jesus. And if you worry about anything and how you can be more spiritual, focus here. Does that make sense? What's in the heart and what's coming out of you? Is that a good word, a challenging word for everybody here, including me? It's a good reminder, isn't it? It's a good reminder. Who's going to have bacon in the next couple days? (laughs) Amen. I've been a success. I'm going to go ahead and pray. (laughs) Father God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your freedom. Thank you that you have transferred us from the kingdom of dark that meant to kill us and you've brought us into your kingdom of light. Thank you, God, that you intend us to enjoy good things. You said that you gave us all good things to enjoy. I like that. Let us enjoy the world you gave us more and more, not less and less. Let us not be somber, serious, ultra, quasi-spiritual, weird people that never seem to derive any pleasure out of life. God, I don't want to be that, and I don't want anybody here to be that. Let us be full of life and zest and freedom. And God, we want that with a pure heart that only you can give us. God, we give you permission to root out and pluck and pull and cut off anything that results it, anything from that old, nasty way of thinking and being, anything on that list, and anything else you put your finger on, If it's in me, you have permission to pull it out. Yeah. And if you've never given your life to Christ before, and if you've never said, I want to follow you, I want to be a child, I want to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, I want to be forgiven because I need it bad. Now is the time. Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. I messed up bad, but I know you paid for it. And I don't understand why you love me so much, but I believe that you do. I trust you that you do. I know that you're not a liar. And you said you loved me and you died for me and you would forgive me. And I had no other choice but to take you at your word. So I do. And in faith, I say, be my Lord. Be my Savior. And show me what it means to be your child. From now until the day I die. And then I get to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. There's a prayer team up here. And if you don't need prayer, which we all need prayer, but I know. Go ahead and eat our food and drink our coffee. Let's hang out. Thanks, guys.